everyone. I'm attorney Donna DiMaggio Berger, and this is Take It to the Board, where we speak condo and HOA. On today's episode, we are going to talk about marijuana, also known as cannabis, weed, or pot. These names all refer to the dried flowers, leaves, stems, and seeds of the cannabis plant. The cannabis plant contains more than 100 compounds, which include THC, which is impairing, meaning it causes the user to feel high, and CBD, which is not impairing. Marijuana was temporarily categorized as a Schedule I narcotic under the Controlled Substances Act of 1970, but a review led by Pennsylvania Governor Raymond Schaefer recommended decriminalizing the possession and distribution of marijuana for personal use in 1972. Then-President Richard Nixon chose to ignore that recommendation, and marijuana remains illegal at the federal level to this day. However, more than 50% of the states have legalized marijuana for medical use. Many states are also legalizing marijuana for recreational use. Still, using marijuana is not without some health risks, including a negative interaction with some prescription drugs. Problems surrounding marijuana usage have increasingly become a problem for a growing number of multifamily communities. My partner, Joanne Nesta Burnett, is back on the podcast today to discuss marijuana and your community association. Now, many of you may remember Joanne from her episode last season on emotional support and service animals. That episode remains one of our most listened to episodes. And Joanne, you are our first repeat guest on Take It to the Board. So welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I'm sure you're going to have a lot of listeners for this episode, too. So the first question I want to ask you is, what does the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, what does HUD have to say about the use of marijuana in multifamily properties? Well, as you just said, it is still considered, marijuana is still considered a substance one drug, and it is still considered a crime to smoke marijuana or you know any kind of form of marijuana at this point. So HUD has advised that they will not accept a HUD complaint based on medical marijuana. So if someone were to claim that they needed to use medical marijuana as an accommodation and an association didn't permit it and they tried to file a HUD complaint, I was told that HUD would dismiss that complaint. Okay, so that's huge that if an association goes after somebody for smoking medical marijuana as a, you know, a nuisance. So in their nuisance clause, the neighbors are complaining about the odor, the, you know, the ring of smoke. And that individual, the user of the marijuana, complains to HUD and tries to file a complaint. You're saying you've been told that HUD, as of right now, will not entertain that complaint. Correct. HUD will not investigate that complaint and will dismiss it because they do consider it a crime. That Well, I think we can just end the episode here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But we won't. We won't. So when you were last on the podcast, we talked about the criteria to evaluate a request for a reasonable accommodation for pet restrictions for individuals who are claiming they need a service or a support animal. One of the things I was going to ask you before you just dropped that bombshell was, you know, what kind of evidence would somebody need for an accommodation to smoke medical marijuana? Do we even need to entertain this now that HUD has said they're not going to listen to these complaints? I still think we have to entertain them. And the reason is, although HUD may not do anything with this, and while um, a federal claim may not be permitted, I have seen at least two cases brought where defense counsel has been brought in to defend the claims. And I've always said move to dismiss these claims based on the federal statute. Most of them end up settling. So there's no clear line of case law. 
But because we have Florida Fair Housing Act, as well as the medical marijuana statute, which I believe is found at 381.986, if an association denies someone the right to smoke medical marijuana or you know any other form of marijuana, there's a potential for a state FHA violation. Right. So what does somebody have to do, Joey, and to prove that they have the need? First of all, that the marijuana they're smoking is indeed medical marijuana. Usually they're given some type of a medical marijuana card. And based on that, I don't think we would need anything further. As long as someone can show that they have a prescription in their name for the marijuana, that should be sufficient. Is there any ability to get that card off the internet like we see with people who print out the the prescriptions for support and service animals? In other words, you say, oh, what they need is that card, but is there any way to get that card without actually having to prove that you have a medical need for it? I can't say what happens in other states. I can tell you in Florida, there's no way to get a card without having gone to a doctor, been evaluated, and then the card issuing. Would you want to see the original card or is a copy okay? Is a scan of it okay? I mean, are there any guardrails regarding how you would, you know, how you would think somebody would best present that evidence? I'm I'm sure it would be great to be able to get your hands on the actual card, but in theory, you're probably not going to. You're probably going to get a copy. Okay. And no need for a medical letter from the treating physician, just the card itself. The card itself should be sufficient here in Florida because that means a doctor has evaluated you, has determined that you fall within the criteria of a disability within one of those listed diagnoses, and that medical marijuana is the way for you to relieve your symptoms. So I don't think we would be able to request a letter. Although again, HUD's not involved in this, and I'm always thinking from a HUD perspective, under the Florida Fair Housing Act, we probably would still be okay with just the card. So let's say we have a card and the card is saying, you know, Mrs. Smith is entitled to to use medical marijuana. Does the card actually say for what type of condition or just says this person is entitled to use medical marijuana? Just so they're entitled to use it. Okay. And I would assume, please confirm that the advices don't ask what your condition is that you're using this medical marijuana. Absolutely. Never, never ask for a diagnosis, only whether you have a physical or mental disability. So the next question that I get asked a lot from boards is, okay, so we agree. They have the card, they have a need for, for medical marijuana, but do they have to smoke it? Because when they smoke it, everybody can, can smell the fumes. Um, and, and sometimes they feel like they're actually, remember I said in the introduction, there's THC and CBD. When you're smoking it, you've got the THC which is the impairing component, is there an ability to say, okay, we understand you need medical marijuana, but what other form can you use it other than one that's going to potentially impact your neighbors? I think it's certainly a fair question to ask. From the research that I've done, a lot of people use edibles or vape uh, instead of use, you know, actually smoking marijuana. My understanding from the research that I've done is that a lot of times people will claim that the edibles or vaping are not as strong as actually smoking marijuana. So people with severe pain, someone's using this for chronic pain or something like that, they may claim that they're unable to use the edibles or to vape. It just doesn't give them the same type of amelioration of their disability. So we can always ask always try and see what we can do there. And some people will be agreeable, some will not. 
but it, it's going to depend on that. And in fact, I think that there's something in the statute that addresses, you know, there's some people that can get additional marijuana to be smoked that's a larger dose than what's normally prescribed. You have to go to see a second doctor, I think, and things like that. But it, it really is going to depend on the person and whatever their disability might be. I mean, unless somebody is bedridden, and so they have to smoke the marijuana from the bed or the couch because they really cannot move. Let's assume we have somebody who is mobile. One question I get asked a lot, Joanne, is, well, why can't they just take their medical marijuana off premises, right? Where they're not smoking it in the unit or on the balcony where it's impacting other people. I really know the answer to this. I don't, you know, I don't know that there's places around where you could just, you know, drop by and smoke your medical marijuana. The other issue is in a lot of our communities, they do have designated smoking locations in the community. But when you're talking about marijuana, there is still that stigma. It is still a crime. We still have many parents who don't want children smoking marijuana, and they don't want their kids walking past a designated smoking spot where people may be, you know, getting high. Have you come across any of those issues? I haven't. In fact, in doing some research for this, I uh, I found out that there are a lot of proponents of we know that marijuana is going to be smoked now. That's a fact. So what we need to do then is to try and find outdoor common use spaces and social use locations that maybe are, you know, somewhat segregated from the the hotspot common elements. You know, let's not go smoke at the pool. Let's have this, you know, somewhere away from the busier areas in the community. Screened off, screened off from view for people. Right. So try and set something up that is going to allow people to do this. And if we do that, then perhaps we'd have much less people who are fighting it, you know, less complaints, less problems. Depending on how many people are in this designated spot, it could wind up like a Grateful Dead concert in there. <laughs> absolutely true. <laughs> <laughs> there should be some signage. I mean, listen, there's still the stigma for sure. Even though there's many states now that are, you know, allowing uh, the recreational use of marijuana in, adi- in addition to medical usage. But at the outset, I asked you about bringing a, a cause of action. So a, a condo board calls and says, look, we've got this problem. You know, obviously this person is smoking marijuana. It's coming through. It's smelling up the corridor. We're getting complaints. So we decide we're going to do something about it. Most governing documents have an unlawful use clause, which prohibits owners and residents from engaging in activities that are unlawful. As we said at the outset, this is still a crime. So is that a clause that you use, Joanne, when you're asked to go after and enforce against somebody who's smoking marijuana in a building? Yeah, it's probably not what I would use. And the reason being because under state law, if it's medical marijuana, it is permitted. So they're technically not, it's not a crime, you know, under Florida law, while it's still a crime under federal law. So I'd probably go for something else in the, in the documents. What about nuisance? So unlike, you know, yes, cigarette smoke has a, you know, and pipe smoke for, and cigar smoke, all really irritating, but marijuana has a very distinctive odor. Some people like it. A lot of people don't. Do you use the nuisance clause? I would use the nuisance clause as my first Yes, absolutely. In fact, I, I had a call yesterday from a potential new client who is a unit owner within a condominium, and he has asthma, severe asthma. His adult child has uh, severe anxiety whenever he smells it. For whatever reason, it's a trigger for him. And the next door neighbor smokes marijuana out on their balcony. 
and it seeps right into their unit. And it's a problem for both of those individuals. He asked the association to make an accommodation for him and have the unit owner at least smoke within the confines or within the boundaries of the unit. And the association's taken the position that they're not getting involved. So if we were representing the association, we would probably try and work this out with the unit owners and see what we could do. But in this case, we're likely going to end up in court. And perhaps a trespass cause of action because the smoke is seeping into his unit? It could be. In fact, there's really not a lot of case law on this at all. But I did find a D.C. trial court case where one unit owner sued another unit owner for nuisance and that unit owner prevailed. Now, it didn't go up on appeal. So it's not it's not a case we can rely on or anything like that. It's not going to set precedent, but it is out there. So the association who didn't want to get involved, again, if I was association counsel, one of the things I would point out to the directors is, look, you have a fiduciary duty to enforce the governing documents. And I have never seen a set of governing documents that does not contain a nuisance clause. They actually all contain unlawful use clauses as well. So, yeah, I, you know, certain things you just boards can just not take a hands off approach. And I would think this would be one of them. Joanne, let's talk about a community um, like a lot of our large 55 and over communities. They have, a, you know, an abundance of uh, recreational amenities. A lot of times they have these theaters where they put on shows and it's open to the public so people can come. Now you've got potential ADA issues as well. So what if somebody coming into those type of communities claims that they you know, need to smoke their marijuana? In a common element type area? Yeah. yeah. That I think is going to be a problem. Like I said, if there's not a designated area for smoking, then in my opinion, at this point in time, unit owners should be confined to their homes or to their units to smoke marijuana. Let's talk about employees. So a lot of our communities have employees, whether they're, you know, whether they're the management company's employees or they are direct employees of the association. What happens if an employee says, I have to take a a smoke break and the the smoking they're doing is, is marijuana? Right. So I'm not an employment lawyer. So I did I did discuss this issue with Jamie DeCovna from our firm, who is an employment lawyer. And she told me that, generally speaking, if you have a drug free workplace, there is no need to just like under the Fair Housing Act under the ADA, there would be no need to accommodate someone to allow them to smoke while they're working. Now, they might be able to smoke on their own time, on their off time, but they shouldn't be smoking on property in, in those, you know, smoke-free or drug-free workplaces. I just want to be clear, though, we're talking about marijuana. That doesn't impact, if you have a drug-free workplace and I want to go have a cigarette, that's not going to be impacted. We're talking about smoking marijuana. Right. Smoking marijuana, not smoking cigarettes. So again, yeah, that's, you know, we have a lot of associations who are direct employers, Joanne, and who, do, who have not taken the steps to to create a drug-free workplace. So that may be something that some of our listeners want to consider after after listening to this episode. Absolutely. And, and Jamie explained to me that there are some insurance benefits and things like that to drug-free workplaces. So, you know, oftentimes an employer will want to take advantage of that. So a lot of our clients, as you well know, they have they, their units are leased out and a lot of them want to create some guardrails around the leasing relationship. To protect the association, because frankly, the owners who are leasing out their units, they're concerned, they're concerned mostly about the amount of rent they're going to get each month. One of the things we do is we create a uniform lease rider um, and it inserts certain protections for the association. 
Recently, some clients have asked if they can add language into a uniform lease rider that would allow them to evict any tenant found to be using marijuana, smoking marijuana, medical or otherwise, inside the unit. If that language were added, do you think that creates any sort of fair housing issues? I think, again, it could cause, it could create a problem under the Florida Fair Housing Act. Now, the the, the good news about that is because HUD, HUD would not be involved, that person who, the tenant that wants to smoke marijuana or whatever the case might be, uh, they would actually have to file suit. I mean, there's there's nothing short of that because there is no administrative procedural issue to this at, at this level. So it would have to be a state court action. And there are some barriers to entry for most people when it, when it comes to that. But you just, that's a perfect segue because I wanted to ask you, if it were regular smoke, just excessive secondhand smoke from a cigar or a, or a cigarette, would that be subject to arbitration in Florida under 718.1255? Yes, it would. Yes, it would. What about mar- marijuana, though, if it's marijuana smoking? Again, I well, now the division does not have jurisdiction over claims regarding disability or fair housing. So they would not, I don't believe they would accept jurisdiction over a medical marijuana complaint. Gotcha. But it is this, the excessive secondhand smoking complaint related to nuisance and cigarette smoke, they would accept jurisdiction over that. Yes, they would. So if, if an association, if one of our clients were to file a petition for arbitration, with the division to prevent a unit owner from smoking marijuana, what I think the arbitrator would do is accept jurisdiction of the claim, strike the defense, and then tell them to go file a HUD complaint within 30 days, which is what they typically do. But in this situation, there is no HUD complaint to be filed. So I'm guessing, and I have not seen this, I haven't come across it yet. I'm guessing the arbitrator would then strike the defense and have the case proceed. Interesting. I, I said at the outset, your episode, Joanne, on emotional support animals and service animals, it remains one of the most listened to episodes on Take It to the Board. I remember you mentioned one case that still sticks with me that I still mention to people is uh, a case involving 28 sheep and four goats, I think, or vice versa. Do you have any updates for us in terms of these kinds of cases? Well, those sheep and the goats are gone. <laughs> we, we, we prevailed there. The newest request for accommodations for animals now are chickens. I have three cases right now where people want multiple chickens in you know, our, one of our homeowners associations. So you look out your backyard and there's a unit owner or a homeowner with a chicken coop that's literally, I mean, you can hear the chickens clucking. You can smell the, the waste. It's, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. I have a theory as to why this is, and you may laugh, but we both have, you know, adult kids, is it's being driven by TikTok and the celebrity craze for chickens. I'm telling you, I think that's what it is because a lot of these celebrities have their, you know, homes in Montecito and they've got their chickens and they put it on TikTok. That's that's my theory. They have quite a bit of acreage as well. This is, you know, a homeowner, you know, a homeowners association where you back right up to your neighbors and your neighbors are, you know, three feet away from you on either side. While it might be great for these celebrities who have all this acreage, it doesn't really work well in our homeowners associations. Did I tell you my personal bee story? No. I did not tell you the story. Not last Mother's Day, but the Mother's Day before, my son, Ryan, gave me a card and it came, it was a, it was a beekeeping kit 
with a book and a card saying 10,000 Italian bees are going to be delivered to you. In the box was the beekeeper's hat, the gloves, the smoker. The, and I called him and I said, Brian, this is a lot. Why? Why would you send me? He said, you said you wanted to be a beekeeper. I said, Ryan, I have never told you I wanted to be a beekeeper. I said, bees were important and we should protect them. Anyhow, long story short, bees are livestock. I said, Ryan, we live in an HOA. <laughs> we live on a golf course. And I could see, you know, I'm going to be out there with the whole beekeeper kit and with the outfit and the golfers are going to look over and see, you know, swarms of bees. Long, long story short, I donated it. I called the company. I said, please don't send me 10,000 bees. I can just see the headlines, you know, known attorney, community association attorney violates uh, covenants. But but yeah, that was that that's something I had to contend with. And he was really irritated that I didn't take you know possession of all these bees. I have had a request for an accommodation for bees and, uh, you know, they have to be within certain zoning districts and things like that. And it, that was a whole huge nightmare. Well, we have Marty Keir on the show and he is the Broward County property appraiser. And you can get, uh, you know, tax deductions for agricultural property and bees would constitute livestock. So you could. But the tax offset was not enough for me to risk (laughs) getting stung to death by 10,000 bees. I don't blame you. (laughs) So, you know, here's here's the thing. What do you say to people who just say you're a killjoy? You're Joanne. You're just party killjoy. I really am. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to mess up to it? I don't really have a good response to that. Yes, that is exactly what I am. Well, any last advice for people who are listening and who are really struggling with with someone in their community who just doesn't care that their medical marijuana usage or just their regular marijuana usage is, you know, impacting their neighbors? Any suggestions, advice? I definitely think that we have options that we can help you with. We can with eliminating HUD, you know, taking them out of the equation is huge. And I think that it would give an association a a fighting chance of getting rid of tenants who smoke and refuse to do what should be done. And like I said, to set up these common spaces where people can go to smoke that's out of the way of everyone else and allows everyone to live happily and you maybe know? put a, maybe put it some strobe lights in there too in your right, little right. in your little space. Uh, folks, the typical disclaimer: Joanne was kind enough to come on and share her brilliance, but she is not giving specific legal advice to your community. So please reach out to your community association attorney to discuss if you have this issue. Joanne is always a resource. Uh, Joanne, you want to give your contact information in case anybody wants to reach out to you? Sure. My email is jburnett, B-U-R-N-E-T-T, at beckerlawyers.com. And my phone number is 954-985-4192. Well, you'll let us know if your phone starts ringing off the hook. <laughs> I will. so I will. much. You're, as I said, you're our first repeat guest and something tells me you're going to make it a third appearance at some point too. Thank you. I would be happy to. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Julian. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to follow and rate us on your favorite podcast platform or visit TakeItToTheBoard.com for more ways to connect. 